0: Amen. Thank you, Kelsey and Derek and Tim for leading us. Um, so I, I had a guy in college who who uh, discipled me for a couple of years. He was, a, he was a pastor, preacher, evangelist, traveled around. And so every once in a while, myself and a, another guy I was in college with would travel with him when he would preach. And I always thought it was odd uh, before he'd get up to preach, he was always stretching and doing this and doing these things. And I was like, He's just old. And I was just sitting over there, and I was going like this. I was like, why am I doing that? And I was like, because I'm getting old. Uh, coaching middle school football is killing me physically. Um, so I'm, uh, I coach middle school football. That is not my permanent job. I think I get paid zero. I actually think I pay them uh, to get to do that. Uh, I'm in marketing world, and, but I, I, I do need to confess. Confession of sin early on. Uh, I've heard confession is good for the soul, terrible for the reputation, but I, um, I, uh, I, got, a, I got my first 15-yard penalty uh, for, well, he gave me a warning, but he still threw the flag as high as he could. So um, I, got a, I got my first warning for um, telling the referee why he wasn't really good at his job. So I just wanted to apologize for that publicly in front of my wife. As soon as I walked to the other side of the field after the game, she was going like this. I was like, he was wrong. She was like, I know, and then you became wrong. I was like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's true. Uh, hey, I'm grateful and humbled to be a part of today to get to open the Word with you. Uh, I'm Dustin Willis, if I hadn't met you. Uh, I get to serve as one of the elders here. Uh, like I said, I serve in the marketing field, but specifically in a global missions nonprofit. And, um, but I love this church family. been here since day one of this church, and anytime I get to open God's Word with you, uh, it's a joy. If you have a Bible, grab it. Go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, Acts 2 is where we're going to be today. Um, uh, We're jumping back into our series in the book of Acts. And what you'll see over the next couple of weeks is that we'll be digging into chapter 2 today. And then next week, Billy will jump back into chapter 1. And you're thinking, that doesn't make any sense. It will all make sense at some point, okay? Like, it's like watching, anybody ever watch the old show Lost? Anybody? Or is this just the wrong generation? Okay, I got a few of you. All right, that's good. It will all come together in the end. Or not. (laughs) Um, If you know anything about that show, then you know what I'm saying. If you don't, do not waste your life. (laughs) Do not waste your life. All right, Book of Acts. So Luke wrote the Book of Luke. Imagine that. And then he wrote the Book of Acts. It really is just this one big story with two different accounts that he's telling. The Luke's first account from the Gospel of Luke is about this. It's about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The second account is about the acts of the disciples and the Holy Spirit working in and through them. And so Acts 2, what we're going to find in Acts 2 is what is the formation of the local church. We're going to see the formation of the local church inspired by the Holy Spirit. We get this descriptor, if you will, of what biblical community looks like. And so let's jump right in. We're going to read the whole passage, then I'm going to set up some context to talk about culture a little bit, but let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. When I read that and I really think about that, that's one of those things when you read in the scriptures and you don't just read it as like, I'm just trying to get through this year Bible thing. And I'm talking about like where you're really listening and putting yourself in the story. When I hear that, that's something I want in on. Like, that sounds amazing. Like, I want to be a part of that. And what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the values of this type of community But before we get into that and kind of jump into the deep end of that for really the last half of today's teaching, I want to walk through um, and examine the current culture in which we live. Um, So two overarching ideas. If you're one of those people, take notes, and you got 17 highlighters out right now. Here, let me give you this. Two, Two overarching ideas that we'll hit on. Number one will be our current culture. I'm talking about what we live in every day. And then two will be the biblical basis for community. That's where we're going. If you're wondering, where's this thing going to go? We're going to talk about those two different things. And when looking at our current culture, I want you to understand something. A solitary faith is not a Christian faith. A solitary faith is not a Christian faith. Now, how many of you, we all obviously live in the southeastern part of the United States now, but how many of you grew up in the South? out of curiosity, raise your hands. How many of you did not? All right. Wow, the people that did not seem a lot more proud. Interesting. Um, So in the South, often, and maybe this happens in the North or the West, uh, but you hear people say, well, that's just my burden to bear. Y'all ever heard that? No, that's just my burden to bear. Can I say something from a biblical perspective and just say it really boldly? No, it's not. There is no biblical truth in that statement. No, it's not. The the Bible talks about, when it talks about community, we bear together, right? But culture often says, no, it's just my burden to bear. I'll go figure this out on my own. Listen, life isn't easy. It's not. It's tough. Like, anxiety is real. Pressure is real. Brokenness is a reality. And, And you are not designed to do this thing called life on your own. You're not. And here's what I want you to hear, though. Please hear this. If you can grasp onto this, and maybe you have, and maybe you've gotten a taste of it, or maybe you've experienced it, that there is so much joy awaiting you when you live in God's biblical design for community. So much joy. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. I mean, at the end of the day, if I were to give you a definition of what is gospel community, here, here's, here's my definition. It's the people that you walk through the good, the bad, and the ugly of life while reminding one another of the gospel truth. The people that you walk through the good, the bad, and the ugly of life, so it's not just, oh, it's all joyful, it's all great, it's amazing. No, there's no prosperity gospel in this. There is good, there is bad, and sometimes there's outright ugly. Who are you walking through that with that is reminding you of the truth of the gospel? Because if you have that, I think, you have biblical community so I have a fear though um, and I want to build this case for just a few minutes before we dig before we dig into the biblical basis for it talking about the current culture talking about current culture almost everything in our current society and culture are fighting against you living in community and with one another in 1940, seventy or seven, excuse me, not seventy, seven percent of the population lived alone in the U.S. In 1940, today over 30 percent of people do. Now, sometimes there are days I love my family. I would like to live alone too, <laughs> and I'm sure my wife would say that's called every day for me, right? But why have we 1947 percent to now over 30 percent? More people say they feel alone than any other time in our history. More people say they have no one as a confidant than any other time in our history. More people are considered depressed due to loneliness than ever in our history. And the number of what is considered, and this is, by the way, this is all studies from Duke University, the number of socially isolated Americans has doubled since 1985. Not only are more people physically living alone, but they are becoming, those who live alone and those who don't, are becoming emotional lone rangers seeking the individualistic dreams that ultimately, hear me, that ultimately cripple human flourishing and societal progress. One scholar said it this way. He said, isolation exists because we have a culture that feeds individualism. The fruit of rampant individualism in our culture is massive loneliness. I mean, would you, would you not consider that we live in one of the most connected times in world history? And yet, people are more isolated than ever. Our, our culture is fanatically fast-paced. Ask anyone, how you doing? Busy. Like, busyness has become a badge of honor to be worn in our culture. Our culture is frantically fast-paced, and instead of retreating to community, do you know what most often happens? We got to retreat from the fast-paced world. We retreat to our individual private oasis that is called our phone. We, We have this insatiable need for connection, but you give us two seconds, and I'm this way, and we're opening the phone. Instagram, what's the rest of the world living like? And by the way, that's their perfect life. We know that, right? Like Instagram or Snap, if you're Snapchat, if you're like one of the younger folks in the room, I, I don't have that. Um, or Facebook, if you're one of the older folks in the room, <laughs> um, or TikTok, or whatever app that some Harvard or Yale or somebody student is coming up with next. That's where we go. And listen, I'm not a person who's against technology. I work in the marketing field for crying out loud. Like if I don't dig into digital marketing and how to get a message to you guys. I don't have a job. Like, I understand that. It can be used for good, no doubt. But why do we often just go there immediately when we have this little moment in time? Because we need and we have this thing built in us to feel connected. God designed us for connection. God designed us for community. I mean, go all the way back to Genesis, right? It's not good for man to be what? Alone. Our design is for that, but yet we're a part of a civilization that starves for unpretentious relationships with others who genuinely care and can share in the common struggle that comes with life, right? Communities that are are centered on the good news of the gospel, they fly in the face of isolation. And yet, here's what those types of communities do, and this is what I want so much for us. They convey a grace-filled acceptance and care that is Clearly outlined, by the way, in the passage we're going to dig into in just a few minutes. And so here's what we see. This type of community is woven throughout the fabric of this whole book. It's throughout the whole thing. In the New Testament alone, the phrase one another, it's presented over 100 times. And 59 times, it's a command. You know these, right? Love one another. John thirteen thirty four. Show family affection to one another, outdo one another in showing honor. Romans twelve ten. Serve one another through love. Galatians five thirteen. Carry one another's burdens, Galatians six, two. Ephesians four thirty two. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. First Peter four nine. I was speaking to some college students recently, and I was like, Greet each other with a holy greet one another with a holy kiss. And some guys in the room started clapping. <laughs> and I was like, you don't get dates, do you? All right, uh, 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Y'all, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. Together, the church makes up the body of Christ. And here's what's amazing. When we operate that way, we become a picture of gospel transformation The rest of the world to see. So, with that understanding of our current culture, I want us to spend just a few minutes looking at the biblical basis for gospel community. So, got your Bibles, Acts 2 42, let's roll. All right, first couple verses. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So it says, And they devoted themselves the apostles' teaching, this is the word. So if you're taking notes, number one, I'm very creative with these types of things. I've been marketing for crying out loud. They were what? Devoted to the word. They were devoted to the word. Biblical basis for community, devoted to the word. Let me, let me just talk about this for just a minute for our church. We have no basis for what we do here if not for the word of God please hear that. We have no basis for what we do here without this. Like we will, as an elder group, we will not waver on teaching God's word, praying God's word, believing God's word. This is the foundation for everything that we do. We, We will teach this and not waver from it, period. And we as a church, no matter what culture says, must be devoted to the truth of what this book says. Culture's going to change, culture's going to shift. This book is foundational, and it will never change. And it is truth, and it is good news from God himself. Uh, The the Greek word in this passage, um, which was the original language in which Luke uh, wrote this very verse, obviously, the word devoted in verse 42 translates to this. This is how it translates. Continually devoting themselves. It means continually devoting themselves. So so here's the point. We, we cannot be devoted to the word of God when it's convenient. We, we must be devoted day in and day out, no matter what. Because sometimes, let me just be honest, you're gonna you're gonna be sitting there and you're gonna read the word of God, and you're like, Man, that's good news for me because I thought that person sinned that way too, and now the Bible's telling me it did. Yes. That's convenient. Then sometimes you're going to read it and go, wow, because James tells us this thing's like a mirror, right? So it shows us who we truly are. And so when we look at it, all of a sudden we're like, wow, that's saying I'm wrong. Hmm, Let's not believe it today (laughs) because I like being right. We, We can't just be devoted to the Word of God when it's convenient. We must be devoted to the Word of God day in and day out, no matter what it says. Because it's the word of God. And what do we know about his word? It's enduring. It's long lasting. You don't ever have to make this thing relevant. When you open it, it's relevant. When you open it in 100 years from now, it's relevant. 500 years ago, it was relevant. First Peter says this, chapter one. This will be on the screen for you, 23 through 25. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and what? Enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. All these other things are shifting and changing and dying out. But the word of the Lord, it endures forever. Our foundation for gospel community, the people we walk through the good, the bad, and the ugly of life with while reminding one another the truth of the word of God is built on his words. And his words, they're not fragile, y'all. You're like, oh, this is going on in culture. What is the Bible? Can the Bible stand again? It's not fragile. It's strong. It endures forever. And this book is good news. They, They were devoted to the word, not the shiftingness of culture. They were devoted to the word. Number two. Or let me read the passage, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, so to the word and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the what? Prayers. So they were devout in prayer. Devout in prayer. We think about this when you think about it in the context of community with others. To know that others are seeking God on your behalf is like nothing else. Now, I'm not talking about like your pastors my i like, I'll be praying for you, and, they, and then nothing's happening after that, right? I mean, I've done that, been there, done that. Anybody else want to confess? No? All right. Um, But like when you know somebody's truly going and seeking the Lord on your behalf. But, But here's the critical factor of all of that. It's not that person that's seeking the Lord necessarily on your behalf. That feels good. It's awesome to know, oh my gosh, like Richard is praying to the Lord on my behalf. Like he's spending time talking to the creator of all creation about me. What in the world? But 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 the more critical factor in all of that is, yeah, yeah, it's amazing to know that others are talking to the God of all creation, maybe about you on your behalf, praying for you. But here's what's more astonishing that I think I miss often is that God wants to hear to their prayers. And he wants to hear your prayers. Psalm 116 verses 1 through 2 say this, I love the Lord because he... He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. He inclined his ear to me. I'll never forget one day um, coming home. This was years and years ago. I have a son, Jack, who's 14, daughter, Piper, who's 11. Um, They were in here a minute ago, and then they found out there was student ministry, and they didn't have to listen to me, so they left. Um and went to that, so now I can talk about them. <laughs> I'll never forget when my son was little, and I uh, don't know if you've been there and done that, any dads in the room, but came home from work, and uh, I, was, um, I was finishing up a phone call, but I'm still on the phone coming in the house, right? And uh, this was before we had a dog. This was when my kids still cared when I walked in the room. Anybody that has that flipped or changed for you, it will. And Jack comes running to talk to me. He's a little boy at this time, and I'm on the phone. And You can just tell he's frustrated because he's, like, wanting to tell me about what his day was. And I'm like, and he, uh, he reaches and grabs my face and says, will you just look at me? Like, you know how, like, grabs your face and pulls it up. Will you just look at me? I want to tell you something. You never have to grab God's face and tell him I want to tell you something. Like, he's a good dad who's just, can't wait to talk to you. Cannot wait. And and so, we have to be a group of people devout in prayer as a community. He can't wait to hear the prayers that you have. And as we do that for one another, imagine the growth that that happens in our own souls. See God, I don't know if you know this he's got the whole thing rigged, right? Like it's rigged. He's rigged the system. Like you go to him with like, "Lord, I'm struggling." And then you come out going, I'm encouraged. Not every time, I know. I mean, go read through the Psalms, right? You read through one Psalm, it's like, God, you were near and you heard my voice. The next Psalm, is like, are you there, there, there? Like, and it's like, Lord, I don't feel you, but you, he's there. We must seek him and his face on behalf of one another. Not just, hey, I'll be praying for you, but like, how can I pray for you? What can I pray for you? And then listen, the God of all creation eagerly, eagerly awaits because he's inclined to listen to your words. You never have to grab his face and say, hey, look at me. (laughs) And God moves through the prayers of his people. We've gotta be a church who seeks out and prays to the Lord of heaven. John Piper said it this way. He said, you want a nail to go on a board? Hammer it. You wanna see God move? Pray. He has ordained that nails move by hammers and he moves by prayer must be devout in prayer. All right, back to the passage. And he who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as he had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Number three, Committed to one another. Biblical basis for community, right? Number one, devoted to the word. Number two, devout in prayer. Number three, committed to one another. Now, what's that look like? There's a million things we could say, right? There's a hundred one another's in the New Testament, 59 that are commands. We could just go through all 59 real quick. Everybody good? We're not gonna do that. Um, Let's just pick one place. I think there's, when I look at the passage and when it talks about this, This is a description of what is happening in Acts. And then what you can see is you can see Paul giving us instructions for how things like this happen. And so if you don't mind for just a second, flip in your Bible over to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 for just a minute. Under commit to one another, we're just going to take two verses in Romans chapter 12 and talk about how do we actually commit to one another. What does it look like to be committed to one another in biblical community? Everybody go with that? All right, let me read verses nine through 10 of Romans chapter 12. It says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, outdo one another in showing honor. So that idea of love must be sincere, if you're taking notes, write this one down, letter A here, no mask allowed. That is not a political statement, okay? Just wanna say that. I know things are like coming back or whatever. I don't know, I don't understand all that, but it's not a political statement. I'll get there and explain it not a political statement. No mask allowed. That idea of love must be sincere, the Greek word there is An Ani, right? What does ani mean? Against. Kritos, same place we get the word crit, like hypocrite. Um, so it's this idea of love without hypocrisy, okay? That, that's what it's talking about here. No mask allowed, love without hypocrisy. Love in such a way that you're not hypocritical. The idea of hypocrisy um, and what it's talking about here goes back to the theater days. So in the in the old theater days, when it was time to play out a certain scene, if you were supposed to be happy, you would go and grab the mask that just had the smile on its face. Y'all have seen these before in the old theaters and stuff? They're not hanging on the wall. Maybe you got one in, like, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Cool. All right. Thanks for participating. Um, I was just up here looking at these lights. Uh, or it's like, all right, I'm going to be happy. Grab the mask that looks happy. So Your emotions are based off the mask that you're putting on, but does that necessarily mean the person behind the mask, that's what they're feeling, and that's what's true? No, they're putting on a what? A mask. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. No mask are allowed. You've got to be who you are. If we're going to live and be committed to community, then we have to actually be busted, messed up us coming to community with our Good, bad, and ugly. So that then what? We together can remind each other the truth of the gospel. We got to love each other without the mask on. Listen, there's oftentimes in my life where I wore a mask for years. And by the way, when you do that, it's miserable. It's miserable inside. It's like building a jail cell for yourself, putting yourself in, and closing the door, and it locks, and in the whole time, you're holding the key, (laughs) and you just sit in there. It's miserable. And think about it. This this is the thing that, like, for me, for years, it's like, as you're faking things, and you're putting on a certain mask for, put a mask on for this person, put a mask on for this person, you're not walking in the worth and the value and identity of who you are in Jesus, but you're walking in the value and worth and identity that you think other people might want. Here's the twisted part that God's kind of hit me with over the years, is, the person they're starting to, maybe they start liking that person. It's not even you. It's not even me. And that's sad. But often that's, that's what I did. Your identity, your worth, and your value are in Jesus and Jesus alone. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. And so as you enter in and walk into communities, you check out a small group, you walk with others, bring you, like bring busted, messed up sinner who has flaw after flaw. But understand this. You're loved by the God of all creation, so bring you. Because then you got other people now that can point to you and go, yep, I hear you. I hear that what's going on with you. But then they get to remind you of the truth of the gospel and who God has made you to be and that your identity, your worth, your value, your hope, and your eternal purpose is in him and not in the things that you've screwed up in life. And the fact that, hey, you know what? We talk about repentance all the time. Repentance, by the way, sounds like a bad thing because there's people that yelled on street corners a lot of times about it. But like repentance is like the best thing going. Repentance is I get to turn from this, turn to Jesus and go, he's made me new. We get to help each other walk in repentance to go, hey, you're new. You don't have to live like that. You're new. He made you new. But it's hard to do that if we have a mask on, right? Bring busted, messed up you, have some vulnerability, some transparency, and watch how God will work in and through your community. Will it be easy? No. Will it be messy? Sure. But it's in the messiness of life where the grace of God abounds all the more. All right. Back to Romans 12. Love must be sincere. We covered that. Hate what is evil. All right. Here's my creative phrase for that. Letter B, hate what is evil. All right. By the way, that doesn't say hate who is evil. Yes, we can all hate the Florida Gators, but beyond that, by the way, Billy, our pastor, if you don't know is you Florida Gators fans, though. So, um, I used to actually like them a little bit. Not since meeting him. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. He's not here to defend himself. That's why I'm saying it. Um, but, But listen, it doesn't say hate who. It says hate what is evil. Look, if you truly love someone, then you hate everything that hurts them. If you truly love someone, then you hate everything that hurts them. Um... I hate human trafficking. Hate it. Hate it. A friend of ours who's in our small group was hanging out at our house last night. We were talking about human trafficking around the world and literally right here in our own community. I hate it. Do you know why I hate it? Because I've been to places where I've met little girls and little boys who have been trafficked. And I know the hurt and the pain that it's caused to them. I hate it. Why? Because when you meet those little kids or you meet that young lady or you meet that little boy, you see them and you love them and you love them so much that you hate everything that hurts them, right? Hate what is evil. By the way, this is the only place in all of Scripture that this specific word for hate is used and it is the most uh, intense form of hatred that you'll see in the entirety of the Scriptures. Hate what is evil. I'm telling you, you can't love someone well and not hate the things that truly hurt them. Maybe you grew up with a mom or a dad that there were certain things that they did or were involved in that you saw what it did to them. You don't hate you don't hate them. You hate what's hurting them. Now, why would we hate these things? That's, I mean, we're in church, right? We can't hate anything. Why would we hate these things? Where do we get that from? From God himself. Let me just say this. We do not follow and serve a tolerant God. I don't see that in the Bible at all. Our God hates sin. He really does. Why? Because he's loving. His hatred was so intense. What did he do with sin? He took it on himself in the most brutal form of torture possible. Because he loves you. He hates the things that hurt you. So how does that translate into biblical community? Let me propose this. And this is one of those, like, if you can't say amen, you have to say ouch kind of things. If you just sit back and watch sin destroy your brother or your sister, my question is, do you truly love them? Do you really care? Do I? I, t- I told this story years ago here, so most of you weren't here, so I'll tell it again. Um, my little girl Piper, we were out, this was, she was probably about two and a half years old, we were out playing in the front yard, and uh, this is when Rainey and I had this uh, swing, um, and then it rotted and fell, and uh, I didn't fix it, and so, but we were sitting in this swing, and Jack's playing in the yard, and Piper's playing in the driveway, we live in a cul-de-sac, and she sees something really shiny on the ground, and so she goes and picks it up, what do toddlers do with shiny things that they pick up? They put it in their mouth because, who knows, right? And so, she picks it up. She's looking at it. Randy and I are about thirty yards from her. And Randy and I have a decision to make in that moment as parents. Now, we didn't do what I'm about to say, but let's just let's just imagine for a minute. Let's imagine that moment as Piper does pick it up. We look at each other, and I go, Rainey, do you see what she has? She has something shiny in her hand. Yes, I do. Do you know what she's going to do with that? Yeah, she's going to put it in her mouth, Dustin. Yeah, I know. Well, you got to tell her not to. Well, I don't want to tell her not to because it might hurt feelings. Like she might get upset about it. I might cry. Like, we got to be besties one day when she's a teenager, so I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, but she's my little princess. If I tell her no, then I'm no longer like, the knight in shining armor in her life. She may get mad at me. I don't want her mad at me. Hey, let's just, let's let her find the fault in her own way. All right. Does that make us good parents or bad parents? If you were wondering, that's the bad parents. We'll do a parenting seminar later if you think that's been good, okay? And so that's not what we did. We're a very competitive family. So it was like an all out sprint between the two of us. And at that time, I didn't have to stretch as much. So I beat my wife that one time to the spot. I might have tripped her. I don't know. Uh, we're competitive. No. I got there like a half second before her, and it was right at Piper's lip, and I hit Piper's hand. Did she get mad at me? Absolutely. Have you ever met her? Uh, she's awesome, but she's got some attitude. She got mad, she screamed, and I looked, and her lip was bleeding. And I was like, oh, shoot. What was that? So we walk over, pick it up, and you know what it was? The sharpest piece of glass you could find. Now, was she ticked off and mad at us for a little while because she had no idea she was about to eat glass? Yeah. Yes, she was. But imagine had she eaten that, swallowed that. What would it have done to her? I don't know. I'm glad I didn't find out. So, as followers of Christ in community, if our brother or our sister is about to eat glass, are we going to sit back and go, I don't know, I don't want to hurt their feelings. No, we do everything in our power to stop them. They're about to destroy their life. Everything it takes. I'll never forget this. I was uh, dating a girl in college who is not my wife now. This is before Randy and I started dating. And my parents knew that I was not supposed to be with this girl, it just wasn't going to be a good thing. And my dad went to. Um, Pastor friend of his, and was like, If I try to stop my son from dating her, he's going to hate me. And that pastor said, Let him hate you. That pastor did mine and Rainey's wedding. So uh, praise God that I did. I hated my dad for months. Praise God for my dad. I was heading in a way, direction and in a relationship that never should have happened. Loving one another. We have to confront one another. Now, let me just tell you this. This doesn't mean you get to become the spiritual referee of our church blowing your like, Jesus juke whistle all the time. Like, um, you, were looking, uh, you were looking over at Mazzy's like you wanted 17 beers. Like, no, I'm not saying that. Like, I'm not saying you get to be the spiritual referee going around blowing your whistle. There's a way to lovingly do it, right? We have to love one another enough where we're not a clanging symbol. So there has to actually be love when we present truth. It's truth in love, all right? All right, back to the verse. Romans chapter 12, verses nine and 10, love must of fear. hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Let's talk about cling to good for just a minute. Cling to good. The word cling there is the word kola, which is the same word, root word that we get the word glue. It means to glue yourself to what is good. It means fasten yourself to what is good. But then we have to ask ourselves, how do you interpret scripture? You interpret scripture with scripture. So where does that word good come from? It's the same exact word that we find, the word good in Mark chapter 10 verse 18. This will not be on the screen. So simple verse. He says, Jesus says, "Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone." So that form of the word good means we it's, it's the same word that describes the goodness of God that we just sang about a little bit earlier. So when it's saying glue to the good, it's written in the context of community, is saying biblically encourage one another with the good that you see God doing in others' lives. Not like, hey, you're having a great hair day. Not that. More along the lines of like, I see God doing this in you. I see God working in your life, Jeffrey. I see God shaping this leadership in you. I see, I I know that's a a sin tendency for you and I see that you you are fighting it with everything that is in you. It's pointing out the goodness of God in people's lives. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of negative factories walking around, right? I'm one of those sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? You know what a negative factory is? It means it's a person that can take any situation and turn it into a negative. No matter what the situation, you can find the bad. Man, you know, it's beautiful outside today. Yeah, but it's going to rain tomorrow. Like, come on, man. Just like, can I enjoy today? Right? Well, if it weren't for the special teams, I'm not sure Georgia would have done real great against Old Ball State yesterday. You dominated them. Relax. You're so entitled now, Georgia fans. All right, sorry. It's this negative factory thing. What does it look like to cling to the good and point out the goodness of God in one another? Imagine being a part of a community where that isn't in play. If there was ever a place for the good of God and encouragement to be found, it has to be a community like this one. All right, love must be sincere. We're talking about how, how we are committed to this idea of community. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Outdo one another in showing honor. Showing Honor. By the way, the Greek word there that's used for honor is is this connotation of honor that we find in the military. The same type word. So it's this idea to honor is what a private would do with a ranking general. By the way, a private would do anything, anything that a general needed him to do. What this is saying in biblical community is this. You treat everyone like they're the general. Everyone. What you might societally consider somebody, I don't know why you would, but in your in your community of the lowest of the low. Nope, they're the general. Treat everybody like the general. I, this passage right here in Acts 2 says, Sell your possessions and give to those who are in need. Like it's being willing to do anything. For those that you call your brothers and sisters in Christ. Imagine a church, a community, city church being one that's like willing to actually give up everything for one another. And I've seen that here. I've seen that where people are in need, and so others anonymously go, I'll meet that need. And they do. I forget, I'll never forget when. COVID hit and kids had to do school at home and there weren't enough computers in a public school here and this church rallied around to make sure that everyone had a computer at home or had Wi-Fi at home so that whole school could actually continue doing school. It's being willing to do anything. Even so much so that it's not like always just your savings you're pulling from but you're willing to sacrifice things to show honor to one another, treating everyone like they're the general, being willing to do anything and everything. So what does it look like to be committed to one another? It's, it's this idea of no mask allowed, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, show honor to one another. Lastly, biblical basis for gospel community Last verse, 47, says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's the last point. biblical basis for community, a God who is faithful. That one doesn't change. That one is foundational. It's a God who is faithful. It says he added to their number daily. He brought upon this attraction to the lost and hurting world to this community. He did it. Biblical based community, they were devoted to the word. They were devout in prayer. They were committed to one another and they had a God who is faithful and we serve and have that same God. Listen, he's the one ultimately responsible for making this thing called city church happen. He's the one that's responsible for, for making the things happen within your group, the dynamics, the confession of sin, what it looks like to confront, confess, repent, and forgive one another. He orchestrates, he works in all that. It's his Holy Spirit. He is the one who's gonna, we we can't force, we can't manipulate to add numbers to get a bunch of people here to blow out the walls. He, he does that, right? Wait, we can plant, we can water, but a God only, he's the only one who makes things grow. That's what the scriptures tell us, right? He will do this. Now, he's given us some things that we've gotta look and go, Holy Spirit, help us, help us to rely on this and nothing else. Help us to pray for one another. Help us to be committed to one another to where we are willing to confront one another. Where we're willing to point out the good that you're doing in other people, Lord. Help us. And I'll tell you, those four things, that fourth one, it won't waver. He will be faithful. No doubt. He's the foundation for community. And here's what I love when we live out this type of community devoted to these four things, you know what we do? we display it to a lost and hurting world. And it's a really attractive community to be a part of. How do I know this? Last passage, John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said that. So as we live out this type of community, a hurting world will look and go, society's not giving me this, culture's not giving me this, there's something about that that's different. And God will work it into through I believe. Let me pray for you. Father, we are grateful for you, your word, um, that we have the opportunity to build a community together that is based upon your word, lived out through prayer, committed in community, and all built on the foundation of a God- who is faithful, and we thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to walk in this. For those, Lord, in this room that are needing community out, Lord, I pray that they'd find a small group within this community. I pray we'd help in any way that we can to connect people to your people. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.